Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. David Attenborough with Ben Elwood. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Thank God for David Attenborough. My name is Ben Elwood, and my guest today is the brilliant Dr. Jody Rowley. Jody is the curator of reptile and amphibian conservation biology at the Australian Museum and the University of New South Wales. She's discovered multiple species of frogs, and if all that wasn't enough, she's also the lead scientist of Frog ID a citizen science app that's helping to create a national database of Australian frogs, as well as helping biologists understand the impact of climate change on amphibian ecosystems. I had such a great time chatting with Jody all about her experiences in the field, our appreciation of nature, and of course frogs, as we sat down together to watch episode six of Sir David Attenborough's Life on Earth, Invasion of the Land. One of the most crucial steps in the story of life on Earth happened in a freshwater swamp about 350 million years ago. The fish began to haul themselves out onto the land. And over millions of years, they evolved bodies that were more suited to life on land and became the first amphibians. You know, we kind of have this idea that everything's Google Earthed and everything's mm-hmm. been completely mm-hmm. explored and discovered, but it, it seems it like hasn't. there's, yeah. And, and the worst part is, if you want to start not going away from comedy and then into depressing, but... No, um, no, that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so please. Yeah, yeah. so there is a, something called forensic taxonomy. So taxonomy yeah. is the, the science of describing new species and yeah. figuring out who's related to who, systematics. Yeah. Um, and, and there is a forensic taxonomy, which is describing right. species that are already extinct. And I don't mean extinct like dinosaurs. I mean we're around 10 years ago, 20 years yeah. ago, and and aren't aren't there any longer, which is really terrifying. So it is a race against time to discover what we have. My name is Dr Jodie Rowley. I am the Curator of Amphibian and Reptile Conservation Biology at the Australian Museum and University of New South Wales. So when you say extinct, are you saying extinct in nature or extinct altogether? Extinct, extinct. There's this really horrible haunting stories about these people that are researching golden toad up in uh, the cloud forest in Costa Rica. And there was, you know, every year just in this sort of miraculous place in this puddle in the middle of this forest, they'd see these beautiful golden males and then the females that were brown and, and red and they would come together and mate and go away and it was this amazing event that only happened for a couple of nights. And then the next year they went and there was 20 instead of the usual like 100 or so. The next year they went, there was five. The next year they went, there was one male looking for a female and they've never been seen oh, again. Oh, God. Yeah. 
you know, I've actually been to that place and kind of looked at where they used to be. And and in that case, it was the amphibian chytrid fungus. So a disease that Mm. we think us humans spread around the world um, and, and introduced into frogs um, and and they they didn't do well um, at mm. all because their skin's so important to them. And it's just so it's so hard to convince people that don't have an affinity for nature that it's important or that that is a tragedy because I think a lot of people are just, well, it's just a frog. Yeah. Frog's frog. Totally. You know, there's heaps of frogs. What's the problem? Yeah, without that connection, I mean, why would someone care if it doesn't come into their lives on mm. a daily basis? If a frog in Costa Rica disappearing doesn't affect them commuting to work or, you know, I mean, it's it's human nature. It's, mm. And I think it's probably a self-defence mechanism. I mean, if yep. you, you're going to actually feel that amount of sadness for yep. all the things around the world, then it's just too much. How do you deal with that? Like spiritually or psychologically? I think you have to have hope, otherwise what's the point? And I, I do. One of the things that's given me hope is is Frog ID, which is a national citizen science project that yeah. I'm the lead scientist of, and that's a smartphone app. You go out there, you record the calls of frogs, and we identify them, and we have a national database now. Yeah, so right. I, I thought, you know, maybe a couple of dozen frog enthusiasts would be out there with their phone, yeah. and we get, you know, some data. Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah. We've had hundreds of thousands of people download awesome. the app, all these people out there recording. People are willing to stand in the pouring rain in a swamp <laughs> in middle of winter yep. to get frog calls to help us better understand. I mean, that's right. the thing. I think everyone feels powerless, but there are things that we can do. I mean, yes, individually, we can't stop the rainforest getting, you know, cut down to that degree, things going up in a puff of smoke. Like, yeah. it's very hard, but there are things that we can do. And to, I mean, we, it, it's not going to be me and my five frog biologist friends saving yeah. the world. It's going to be all of us together yeah and, and so that's why talking about biodiversity like showing people how amazing frogs are and yep. it's just what i spent a lot of time doing is is so important because yeah. I, I didn't know frogs are cool when i was a kid no. you might not understand no. how frogs are cool until now no and i'm hoping that you tell me why frogs are so cool most of the amphibians living in the world today have developed their legs to an absolutely spectacular degree the frogs and toads so what is it about frogs? Like what, uh, was this something you were into from childhood? No, I wish I was. I yeah. grew up in Surrey Hills in Sydney, yeah. so like pretty city kid. My yeah. parents, I mean, I think they did take me camping once, but I don't think they like took me out at night looking for frogs. So. Uh-huh. It wasn't until actually I kind of accidentally enrolled in environmental science at the University of New South Wales, started going out with people that would go into streams at night, which is something that I never did, and I just saw frogs, and I'm like, these things are unreal, (laughs) you know, (laughs) toe pads, eyeballs. Their shimmery skin, like they were like, I just fell in love with them. It wasn't the fact, you know, that they were important. And was it an instantaneous thing, like you knew straight Um, away that that's what it was going to (sighs) be? I don't know. Like, I don't think I necessarily planned my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I just was like, these things are awesome, and I, I do want to. I want to do what I can to try and help yeah. understand why they're disappearing and stop them disappearing. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. it became. It was like a global amphibian assessment that came out that highlighted in 2004 um, how much trouble frogs were in and which parts of the world we knew the least. So yeah. there were sort of black holes in terms of knowledge, and right. Southeast Asia was one of those places. So after my PhD, I packed my bag 
bags and moved to Cambodia and started exploring wow. the forest there and finding new species. And then I had to learn You how. specifically found new species? Yeah, me and my wow. colleagues, more than 30 new species of frog. Really? Um, including one from Australia, and we're working more on Australian stuff. Wow. But, like, over there, you just go into the forest, climb up a mountain, and you're like, what is that? Like, yeah, that frog yeah. is pink and yellow and has spikes on it. Like, what, what the heck, you know? I mean, there's more than 7,000 species of frog that yeah. we know of in the world. We're discovering about 100 and something every year. Wow. They're so diverse. You know, they go from flying frogs to burrowing frogs to pointy noses to green to blue to, yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. can get a frog basically in any kind of shape and colour and behaviour. Some of the frogs that, that I've been lucky enough to discover with my colleagues, like, for example, the the vampire flying frog, which is one of the cool things is we actually, you, you can you get to pick the name. So my colleagues and I found this this frog in the, in the mountains of southern Vietnam, and these frogs are adapted for life in the trees. There's not a lot of sort of ponds on the ground, yeah. but there's water-filled tree holes, uh-huh. and they lay their eggs inside there, but there's not a lot of food in these tiny little pools of water where they are. So the mother comes back and lays unfertilized eggs for her baby babies to eat and they use fangs so instead of having a little like beaky mouth like most most tadpoles have they have two black curved fangs that stick out of their mouth they're like the one of the weirdest tadpoles in the world if not the weirdest and they use them to use the fangs to hook the eggs that their mum lays and suck them whole into their belly so if you turn the tadpole upside down you can just see all these eggs in its belly and, and then the mum just comes back, keeps laying them on fertilised eggs. They turn into baby frogs, and you discovered which is this? pretty cool. My colleagues and I discovered wow. this, yeah. Are you, just, are you just going on, like, physiological differences or are you studying the actual genome to see if there's differences in the genetic structure of a frog that might look the same as a different species? So usually it's three things. It's the way the frog looks, um, it's the genetics, uh-huh. and it's their calls as well. So the calls are really, really useful because yeah. they seriously are yelling out what they are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if you go and you see a frog that's small and brown and looks like the other frog on the other mountain, but it's yelling out something different, you're like, well, maybe, because, I mean, that, that's how the girls choose the boys. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so if you've got a different call, the girls over there aren't going to choose you. I mean, humans are good at telling humans apart and mm. frogs are probably really good at telling each other apart. Oh, yeah. But, we're, I mean, we're still discovering new species in Australia all the time. Oh, that's and, so cool. And, and this, But then again, there's occasionally where it's just like, wow, that frog is, like, you know, totally different and we just, you know, you know, you're going into a mountain somewhere, you know, find a gorge that no one's gone into. People are finding new species across Australia and across the world all the time. So it is exciting. And so when yeah. you start losing hope and, you, you know, you start thinking, yeah. oh, all this species lost, actually, we're still at a really exciting time. We're still discovering what we have. We don't know what we have yet. I mean, people are using citizen science to discover new species in their backyard. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's still a, a a darn cool place out there. Yeah. I can't believe I used the word darn. I think I was trying to be peace. <laughs> Not swear on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll swear, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, you swear before, and I was like, oh, okay, so we can. <laughs> that's me, that's me. I don't, I, don't, I don't have an identity to protect. <laughs> In air, you do need quite a different hearing apparatus than you need in water. Eardrums. And with them came a voice. Some frogs call during the day, but most sing at night. Before the amphibians had crawled out of the water 300 million years ago, the only animal sounds on Earth had been whirs and chirps of insects. The first animal chorus to break the silence of the land may well have been something like this. Resonating sacs amplify it many times so that some calls can be heard for over a mile. 
And this is, yeah, this is my forte, frog calls. It's excellent. Each species of frog has a different call and they some of them are crazy. So is this just, is this just here I am, here I am? Like, is there uh, it's a... male frogs only calling to attract female frogs. Right. So it is usually it's like, come here, girls. Sometimes they add a get away other boys to it as well. And that's the repertoire of conversation? There's nothing kind of going on? N- not, not that we know of? Not really. Um, it's mainly just, hey, yeah. girls, this is what species I am and I'm ready to mate. And they don't want to get the wrong species, so they all have different calls. <laughs> There's frogs that have been introduced into some places, like the Asian bullfrog has been introduced into the Philippines, and it's actually driving like real estate prices down because you get these big <laughs> choruses of like frogs, and they sound a bit like crazy cows. It's like a <laughs> like, and so you can understand why. Like, and sometimes some of the frogs, that koki frogs, introduced to Hawaii as well, like yeah. the decibels that you get when you walk into the forest from these introduced species. But yeah, I mean, listen to these beautiful noises for the most part. So is the so on average is the quality of the call indicative of the strength and health of the male? Yeah, and the longer that they can call, it means they're not eating, they're not doing other things that the same as the boys that are just willing to sit there and just yell their hearts out. Obviously, pretty strong in in sort of physical endurance. That's also risky. So we can hear them, bats can hear them, all things that want to eat right. them can also go. Oh, there you are. So they're luring females to them, but they're also luring everything. They're luring. Uh, mosquitoes and blood-sucking midges that actually right. are attracted to the calls of frogs. So if right. you actually put out a, a call of a frog and a tape recorder, all these frog flies that are attracted to frog calls come looking for the frog. It's amazing. Wow. So it's risky business, and that's what demonstrates that they're good enough for the girl. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And females have ears that are tuned to the kind of call of their own species. Right. So in a chorus of many, many frogs, and they're able to hear which which ones. And, and sometimes they'll even go around a pond for hours or even nights trying to find the best sounding frog sometimes they prefer the the biggest the deepest uh-huh. call sometimes the more complex call and sometimes even the smallest males they sometimes prefer small really? males yeah that actually is something that i wanted to ask like what do you think it is to be a frog on like a sensory level i think it's what, a lot what is of their experience of life about reactions rather than I guess planned behavior and some sort of like some a lot more innate than learned you know most frogs don't look after their babies so they just kind of they get whatever you know they don't learn a call like some birds might they Mm. they just somehow know that they're meant to make that noise but uh, they do have personalities people don't give frogs credit in how long they live as well so some frog species can live for 30 or 40 years some other amphibians live for 80 or more years so i guess in that time there's probably there's probably a decent amount of thoughts i don't think they're the brightest sparks on the planet a lot of them uh but i've radio tracked frogs which involve sticking little radio transmitters around their waist on the waist belts and and stalking (laughs) them and and they do have sort of different behaviors and and you can imagine that they do have personalities you can kind of give them names and they have little places they hang out and yeah. they come back to every night green tree frogs are like you know the best though they're the ones with the big to... bright red eyes uh no that's more a sort of central american that that you've been tv'd into thinking he's frogs, on the cover so, yeah. of this documentary <laughs> <laughs> no, that's central american one uh, yeah. um but the australian one's that big kind of fat you know that is in outback toilets kind uh-huh. of thing and, uh-huh. and they used to occur in, in sydney but now they're, there's only very rarely a green tree frog but mm. they're like they're big and they're so big and they live for so long that they just, you know, some frogs, you look at them sideways and they're like, nah, I'm out of here. And they just rock it off. But these guys are just like, what? No. Nah. And you can pick them up and they're just like, okay, now I'm sitting on a hand. You know, they, they don't actually like, they, they're just not scared because they're a big frog and they're yeah. just like, well, this is all right. Now, now I live here. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What, what is their main, like uh, from a frog, is it hearing sight? Like what's the main um, sensory input that's they're reacting to? 
a bit of both. Frogs are funny because if you're, and I spend a lot of time looking for frogs, so if you're walking down a stream or something, if, if you're looking for mammals, they'll actually turn and look at you because they care. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, whereas yeah. frogs, you'll only see their eyes shining back at you if they happen to be looking that direction already. They won't turn around and be like, who's that? Like we're inconsequential to them for the most part. I right. think they don't really factor us in on things. They can also feel vibrations. Mm. They also have pheromones and, and things that yeah, we're starting well. to realise so they can probably sniff each other out as yeah. well. Um, so they've got the full sort of gamut, but sound is definitely important, more important to frogs than it is to salamanders and Sicilians, some of the other amphibians. Okay, and what what what, what is Sicilians? Sicilians are like worm-like things. Are they the ones that their young eats their flesh to Some survive? Some species is quite excellent. Yeah, well, it's all about how do you provide food no, for your babies No, I know, I know, but it's confronting so to see. They develop like a special extra thick layers, the mother, yeah. thick layers of skin, and their babies get, get born and they have these special teethy things, yeah. and then they just eat. The skin. I mean, it's kind of like milk, but it's skin. What a what a <laughs> metaphor for parenthood, right? Like that's, that's so profound. Eat my flesh, do it. <laughs> they're, they're they're amazing. They're really polynome. We don't have Sicilians in Australia, yeah. and we don't have salamanders and newts in Australia. But they're the other groups of amphibians, which sure. which are in other parts of the world. And and for them, it's it is more like chemicals, senses, smells, olfactions. And salamanders have special like nasal lines and things like wow. that to help them better smell what's going on. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, everyone kind of lives in its own different world as well. And it's funny. I mean, you can stare, particularly with a red light, if you, you can just watch a frog do whatever. Like, if they're motivated enough to do it, like if they're calling or if they've, you know, they're really into it, then you can just sit there and, and watch them doing their thing. And awesome. it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Awesome. It's nice to be inconsequential sometimes, you oh, know, yeah. to nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, I had a moment at the um, when I went camping a couple of weeks ago. It got to minus four at night, and um, I was lying in the tent, and I was completely physically and psychologically unprepared for it. <laughs> and I was just lying there, and I had this moment where I was like, oh, I'm going to – I will – like, I might not die – but I'm going to get hypothermia if I stay in this tent. Like I have to do, I have to do something now. Um, and it was this moment of <laughs> realization of like nature isn't hostile, but it's definitely aggressively indifferent. Like mm. it just, and 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 it's not in a cruel way. No. Or it just, it's just like. Dude, figure it out. You're there yeah, or you're figure, not there, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, like I'm it's doing inconsequential my thing. Yeah, to me. Four degrees tonight, whether you're there or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> so what happened? Did oh. you go get in the car? Did you go yeah, get? Yeah, well, I, I lay a in hotel. My, I, I lay in my t- no, no. We were in the we were in the middle you of nowhere. Totally um, no, I lay in my tent for an hour, pretending that it was going to be fine, and then I. <laughs> I just burst out laughing and went, I yield, I yield. <laughs> and I heard my friend in the other tent like burst out laughing. <laughs> I was like, I can't. And I like kind of like Michelin manned over to the car and just sat in the car and like didn't sleep. The windows were all frosted up. and But I was so happy and I was so content because it was just. You know you're alive. When, a, you when know, you're, you're really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're alive. And it's just that thing of, you know, all the other chatter and all the other anxiety and, you know, the, the well, yeah. what does this mean? And da, 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 it's just out the window. It's like, no, I just have to stare at the horizon and wait for the sun to rise. And honestly, when the sun rose, I started crying. It was just like, and it was that real connection back to what's actually important yeah. and what's actually resonant. Yeah. And, you know, at one point it took an hour to boil a cup of tea and, the sense of achievement <laughs> when the tea was done and the sense of joy. It was the best cup of tea I'd drunk in my life. And I felt like 
You couldn't yeah. access that level of appreciation unless you strip everything away and it's not just, oh, I feel like a cup of tea right now. It's like, no, I need a cup of tea because I'm freezing to death. Um, so the, the, the happiness that came from that was profound. The experiences, like, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the middle of nowhere in the forest and yeah. in moderately hideous conditions, especially because frogs like rain um, yeah. and humans not so much. Yeah. Uh, so I tend to be out in the middle of the forest when it's pouring with rain, monsoon season in Southeast Asia, all these kind of things. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do. One day I kind of blurs into the next when you're in civilization and, you know, yep. but then when you come back as well, like it is the little things. It's like, oh, my God, I, I can get up out of bed and pee, you know, without having to, you know, get out of a hammock, yep. you know, get muddy feet, yep, walk yep, 20 yep. metres, fall down a cliff because you're trying to get far <laughs> enough away from someone that they're not going to hear, hear you pee, you know, come back again, like find leeches on your butt. Like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like this is, at, at the time you're like, this is awful. All my friends are in nice cosy beds and I am picking leeches and like congealed blood off my leg. <laughs> what am I doing? Do I care about frogs this much? I'm not sure I do. But then when you get back, you're like, oh my God. You know, it's so funny. It's like, I'm going to lose my mind at a spring roll right now. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the best. Yeah, well, and it's like sandwiches. I hate sandwiches normally, but like sandwiches when you're in the field, you're like, this is the best food I've ever had. Every I will kill oh, someone for a boiled egg when we're yeah, in the field. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, that's it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as, a, as a person who was always like very uncomfortable and quite terrified of nature up until maybe 25, um, you know, I look back on how I used to be and it wasn't even taking things for granted. It wasn't even acknowledging how lucky you are just to have a pillow and a doona. It was like just complete disconnect from your own privilege, your own status, you know, what is available to you at any given time of the day. Um, and now that I'm out in nature a lot more, it's um, it's given me an appreciation for say my real life, my city life mm. that I never, I don't think I ever would have been able to access had I not been removed from it. And, and it's not to say that when I'm in nature, I'm pining for a pillow or a doona. It's just mm. really great to have it when I get back. I, I'd probably, maybe pining's too strong, but yeah, I mean, de- de- definitely like I, I do appreciate certain, certain things and yeah. I can be uh, more of a princess when I'm in, you know, I'm like, it's raining, I'm not going out for food, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whereas, like, you know, it, it's looking for frogs, it's like, all right, now we have to walk five hours up a mountain in the pouring rain and yeah, then we have yeah, to yeah. like, I'm like, okay, I mean, you know, and then we find like a really sweet frog that's, yeah, I don't do, I wouldn't, like, I don't climb mountains for fun, like, I don't understand that summiting for no reason. I mean, we've found new species of frog on the highest mountain in Vietnam and we've yeah. been a couple hundred metres from the top, you yeah. know, that we've climbed up ourselves. People are like, why don't you go to the summit? Why? Like, I'm here. The frogs we want are here. That looks awful. It's already been awful. Why? Like, I don't need, like, a, a you know, I, I so I'm, I'm come here for the frogs. I have so much more respect for you that you go out and do it despite not having some kind of, like, airy fairy, like, whoa, I'm connected to it all. Like, the fact that it is some <laughs> hostile or that you're yeah. feeling uncomfortable in it and, yeah. and that Titties. you persevere <laughs> wow that's like you do love frogs yes, can, can but no it question. also makes you feel alive that's the thing the times you remember I can remember every single day and honestly sometimes I have a checkbook in the back how many days left which I mean as humans I think we're meant to be in our little communities and it is amazing like you know I've been in the field with like 10 people and that's your life and it's weird how you get used to this situation you know yeah. like, you forget that you you have a partner that you have a dog that yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you just you're like well that was pasturity, you know. Yeah. Now I live here. This is my life, um, and money is of no consequence to me. It's like, but you know, all it's, it's your world just becomes 
it's like a weird human thing that you just get used to it. And I guess that's sort of with coronavirus as well. You're yeah. like, all right, now now I'm used to it and people scare me. How long is a trip for you? It depends. Uh, a couple of weeks usually. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, I've been some places where I've been like a month in China in the field and that's that can, it feels like a really long time sometimes when it's challenging. Also, um, time moves very differently in nature. When, time, when, when the day isn't segmented into minutes and hours and it's really just sunrise, sunset, I found the days time... For a frog biologist, the days are just, especially if you're not moving camp, you're just like, okay, like now. What, just sitting there yeah, waiting? Yeah, what do you do? Sweating because, you know, you're in, it's like 35 degrees or something yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and there's no electricity and you're just like, hey, I've got like at least 10 hours of just sit sweating. And I like looking at cool stuff too, you know, you get to see the, the insects and all that like kind of stuff, but then you're waiting until night for the most part and that's when you're getting yeah. out there and, and you, you know, you're seeing these amazing frogs. And, and, and so all these are you going from sunset to like what midnight or is it all through the night? It really depends. In Australia, usually probably um, it, it depends. You usually maybe you could finish at 10 or 11, depending, uh-huh. might finish at three or four or something like that. So uh-huh. um, you, you adjust your time. You try and sleep a bit longer in the mornings. I'm not a great sleeper in the day. So it doesn't, Especially it usually camping. just ends up being pretty. Uh, in Australia, I try and avoid camping if I can um, because, because of that, because it gets dangerous after a certain while. So I'd rather drive two hours than yeah, right. like in, in those kind of examples. But um, I mean, I've got a trip coming up where we'll be camping overnight, which which will be great, great fun, and, and being somewhere that's. Um, I feel like I don't know. fully believe you when you say it's going to be great fun. <laughs> no, it will. It's been so long, and and sometimes it is great fun, but there's just also those nights. You know, I kept a field diary, um, particularly when I was working in Vietnam, and yeah. and it's just you know you're like wow that you know I, oh it just brings all these <laughs> memories back. You're like yeah we climbed and then we got lost and then we like slid down a hill. Then I tripped and like mud you know planted my face yeah. in the mud. Yeah. And then we found absolutely no frogs. And then, like, <laughs> but I imagine, like, I um, um, I imagine when you find something, it's out it, of control. It is, and I mean, I work with amazing people that you know you bond pretty quickly when. Yeah, and I mean, my, some of my colleagues have saved my life. You know, we've been in really dangerous situations, climbing up waterfalls, and a rock, like a boulder started to fall on me, and they had to like <laughs> grab the boulder and like straddle the boulder and hold it in place while I climbed around the side, and <laughs> and then they let it go, and this boulder just went smashing down the ravine like there has been some really you know yeah wow hopefully no one from my work in the ohs kind of department is listening (laughs) to this but you know it's been really difficult i I slipped down a cliff in in vietnam and i could see my colleague down the bottom and he was just getting bigger and bigger and i was trying to grab onto everything (sighs) i could behind me finally stopped and he just i remember the next day he didn't speak great english this time when i met him and he was like jody last night i think you died (laughs) like me too man like (laughs) i was just like i was in my head going, okay, well, could be dead. Well, it, minimum, it's going to be broken both legs. This is going to be, like, super fun getting yeah, out of this remote yeah, place yeah, in yeah. Vietnam, you know. But, I mean, yeah, amazing colleagues, amazing experiences, you know. Yeah. It, it is great, but it is also um, uncomfortable as as a human that is used to. Of course. Uh, like beds and and toilets and like a roof. A roof is excellent. You know, I, yeah. And breakfast food, like, is, is nice sometimes too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There is not a drop of water to be found in this parched landscape. And yet, here, there are fish that are living and breathing in air. Well, six months ago, this was a pond. The water evaporated, and the fish in it 
funnel down into this, which is now brick hard. And there, they cocoon. And it's, this is like a lot of frogs too. It's not quite as impressive for a frog as it is for a fish, but a, a lot of frogs are under the ground, cocooned. And what, do they just wrap themselves in a layer of mucus or something? And yeah, that's the... layers of their own skin and mucus. Wow. And, and water-holding frogs in particular, the famous Aussie ones. And then how long do they hibernate for? We don't really know, but years potentially. Wow. I wish we had the ability to do that. <laughs> I'm just checking out for, for a year, guys. Put me in the tub <laughs> after yeah, yeah, coronavirus yeah. is over. <laughs> <laughs> They'll live for quite a while, but most of it's just... In stasis. Yeah, yeah, how weird would that be? i got a lot of stoner friends that have the exact same lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> the largest amphibian alive today, the giant salamander from Japan, grows to over a metre and a half. These things are just the most bizarre thing. Giant salamander? Yeah. I love them so much. What about them? They're big and... Big. Yeah. <laughs> they're big. Um, and they, big just, and they just look kind of ridiculous. They're tiny eyeballs yeah. and their big flappy skin that, that is to help sort of get oxygen into their blood. And they're silly little toes. They definitely look like an interim species, like a, a halfway between a fish and an amphibian. I just can't believe they're real. Mm. They're, they're like a reconstruction. They're just amazing. And they live for like 80 years or so as well. But there's one tadpole that remains in this condition all its life. Axolotl. Axolotls are like the one of the weirdest amphibians oh, be, yeah. because they are essentially a tadpole that decides, no, nope, I'm not I'm not turning into an adult body form. I'm staying like a tadpole and this is where I'm going to breed. Right. So that's why they've got the weird gills. Uh-huh. So normally in frogs and salamanders, they all, they suck them in, they sort of internalise, get lungs, all that kind of stuff. Stays as a tadpole. Is that just because there's no evolutionary pressure to evolve beyond that? There's been some weird instances of that. There's even thoughts that maybe humans are, p- are pedomorphic, uh, like apes, that you know, babies that didn't grow all the full fur and do all the normal really? things. Really? Yeah, and we've got really big heads and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, wow. And these guys, I don't know, it's just an accident that happened one time where they actually ended up mating and then that did better than, you know, it is weird to reach sexual maturity in the baby form, which is yeah. what these guys are. Those, like, weird things on the sides they're of the just, neck, they're, they're gills. They're just gills. Right. They're sort of normally spread out in the water and they can get the oxygen from the water as it flows past. I'm doing weird hand movements. I'm thinking Jazz like, hands. Yes. I'm doing jazz hands. Jazz like, gills. Yeah. <laughs> European toads migrate for miles around to a single favourite pond and assemble there in great numbers, all within a few days. The breeding period may only last a week or so, and towards the end of it, females with eggs still to lay become very rare, and the males, in their frenzy to couple with them, clasp anything in the neighbourhood that moves, male or female, and so form tangled riding groups. <laughs> what is going on with those toads? They're ridiculous. I've seen a male cane toad on a rotten mango. <laughs> I mean, it's a great photo. What, trying to have sex with a rotten yeah, mango? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then another male's like, right, something's happening here. I need to get involved and jumps on top of the male that's on top of the rotten mango. Uh, yeah, it's... it's and roadkill, the toads, like there'll be a, a dead female Lord. toad on the road and the males are just all over her. <laughs> I mean, they usually have a very short time to breed, so if they're not really aggressive in their kind of... And, and that's another noise that male frogs will make is like a release call. We're like, no, no, you got the wrong gender. Like, wow, get, get wow. off here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and some of them have these kind of uh, orgies, essentially, and, they, and they'll just go for it. And what, is it just first in? Yeah. Yeah, right, okay. yeah. And then it's the males that hang on to the females. 
So they're usually smaller and on the back. There's very few animal courtships that don't seem completely traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) And the difference between a frog and a toad is that frogs have, like, dry, warty skin. Very few differences. So there's uh, more than 50 families of frogs, Uh and toads are just one of them. The reason we have that weird distinction between frogs and toads is because of the English language mainly and the fact that in England they literally had one group of frogs and one group of toads um, and and nothing else (laughs) and and newts. So, you know... In Australia, we've got tons of families and none of them are, or actually one of them is a true frog um, and and the rest are different families that aren't aren't toads. So toads are frogs. Yeah, they are. Yeah, basically. They tend to walk more than hop. They're a little bit smarter usually. Uh, They tend to have bumpy skin and poison glands, but not always. There are some like stunning toads. Really? And there's some uh, there's some toady frogs. Oh, there's, oh really? Okay. Yeah. So we call a lot of Australian frogs toadlets, which is nonsense. They're not related to toads at all, but they just kind of look a bit like toads. Toadlets. Which is like, it's like, it's a cute, cute little ugly. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a great story recently about an epidemic of toads emerging from the pond, screaming, and then exploding, and their guts spraying everywhere. And no one could tell what was going on. <laughs> And it turned out that crows, as smart guys that they are, were coming down, poking the toads in the bellies, knowing that their defence mechanism was to swell up. And so when they'd swell up, they'd blow their own guts out, and then the crows would come down and eat all the... <laughs> yeah, they're one of the only things, birds, that have figured out how to deal with cane toads. And... Is that still a big thing? Oh, it's a huge thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, that so hasn't... it's wiped out a lot of things that eat frogs, because all the native frogs, well, most of the native frogs, they're, they're kind of fine, so our, our wildlife has grown up with okay, if it's hopping around and it looks like a frog, you can probably eat it. They're so poisonous, they don't really usually get a chance to learn halfway down their throat and it's all, it's all over. That's what I heard, that it goes, like, it's basically dead. Whatever it is, it's dead from heart failure as soon as it's in its mouth. Yeah, it's pretty awful. But yeah, ravens and things like that, crows turn the cane toads over and and I didn't hear about the exploding (laughs) cane toads, but definitely they, they are, they have been known to to sort of just pick out the belly where there's not the toxins that there are on the top of the. Uh, Have other animals figured anything out or is it, because crows are uniquely intelligent. They are quite smart. I think Rikali's, the water rats. Right. And some things are kind of coming back a little bit. Maybe they ate a few baby cane toads first. And there's been some amazing work done by Rick Shine and, and others who's a, who's a, uh, a herpetologist and into reptiles um, yeah. where they actually sort of make cane toad sausages. So <laughs> in order to – that's one of the biggest problems is some animals can learn, right, but you mm. need to – I mean, we, I can't drink um, tequila uh, or Zambuca anymore because I learned that when I drink it, there's been some very bad experiences <laughs> afterwards. I've been terribly <laughs> ill. So I, I avoid that because to me it's a poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I actually have to hold my mouth if I – like want to swallow it otherwise my body's like nope this went badly last time it's yeah. you know it's yeah bombora is my one <laughs> coconut bombora oh really Ooh, mama. <laughs> i'd never drunk in my life and then at 18 at the formal i drank a half a bottle of bombora and ever since the smell of coconut makes me gay <laughs> like 20 years later so there you go so if the if that had killed you yeah. you wouldn't be able to learn exactly. but now you've learned that yeah. coconut smells bad yeah. so that's what they're trying to teach this wildlife by giving them a small dose of cane toads so a little kind really? of cane toad sauce make them feel ill um, and then they won't actually go for the real thing because they're like wait a minute I've tasted this was bad last time you know so so they're trying to train mammals in particular so quolls um, to to actually realize and avoid them but that's sort of always been the problem because in the new areas where the cane toads invade it's the big beefy ones that manage to hop fastest and get in there and so they'll just instantly kill everything that tries to have a go at them. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Is there, is it like, will there ever be a solution to invasive species? Like, is there a way to genetically breed them out or get uh, no not really i mean we've it's it's really tough and we're facing that problem really incredibly in australia at the moment so the cane toads are the only introduced amphibian in australia and they're so bad because they are so toxic and all of our wildlife hasn't evolved with it you know there's animals in other countries that have evolved with toads that can eat them just fine or know to avoid them um but the problem is that it's they're just another frog like Mm. they're a, a toad but really toads are just a type of frog and so anything that you try and do to engineer their failure you potentially will engineer the failure of all of our native frogs or at least some of them. So it's right. it's really dangerous. I mean, with and with things like cats and rats and and all these other things that are just munching down on all our native wildlife, it's it's tough. I mean, we're developing mm. crazy things that, you know, with artificial intelligence and so now there's these machines that recognise that a cat as it walks past, so you can put these things out in the bush and they spray it with a poison kind of glue that goes onto the fur of the cat and then the cat just licks its fur and, and it's kind of all over. I mean, cats are some of the worst in terms Wait, what, what? What? It sprays glue on the fur and then the cat. Yeah, what? so it, cats, Chokes if they get on the something on, on there, well, it's a poison that's a kind oh, of a glue, right, so it's right, sticky. Right. So cats are like, oh, like someone dirtied my precious fur. And then they'll lick it off. And then that's, I feel like there's a lot of contempt for cats coming great. from you. Uh, I love cats, but not no. not in the bush. Yeah, um, yeah. And not, not eating our wildlife. They are pretty horrendous. I mean, so that some of the things we're also doing now is building fences around mm. places to stop cats and foxes and things like that. But I don't know if that's like a long term solution. It's, it's really tricky, but, I mean, mm. we've lost so much of our biodiversity, like little cute furry things. Um, I should be talking about frogs, shouldn't I? But, no, 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 yeah. this is all, no, this is all <laughs> part of it. Yeah, I was, I was talking to a, a guy who was running for, I can't remember, I think the Greens in Tasmania, uh, and he showed me a photo of a feral cat that had been killed and its stomach mm-hmm. contents had been revealed, and it was terrifying. Yeah. There I mean, was, like, 24 different t- types of lizard and... One and night. Unbelievable. I think there's there have been some studies even actually bringing it back to frogs with 
sort of estimating how many frogs per year were eaten by cats, and mm. it was was remarkable. And it'd be a huge underestimate too, because frogs are so have such flimsy skeletons that by the time they get out the of other course. end, there's very little of a frog remaining. And so, mm. and yeah, cats are smart, and they do a good job at cleaning up, <laughs> cleaning yeah, up all yeah. that native biodiversity. There's a little 15 minute Vice documentary about this man. I can't remember what state he's in in Australia, and he looks like Santa Claus, but his job is going out and executing feral cats. <laughs> and um, executing you. Well, such a like a human word. Oh, that's, he, a, no, that's a loaded word. He executes them. Oh, okay. He literally catches them in cages and puts a bullet in their head. Well, like, it's... Yeah. It, and I'm no advocate of animal cruelty, but it is... This guy's doing God's work. He really is. He's... Well, yeah. Uh, he's... I mean, they're... They do... The cats do a lot more damage heinous. if you want to talk about, like, animal cruelty to our native wildlife. But uh, getting into any kind of talk about getting rid of, like, horses are the worst. Like, feral horses. Really? I love horses. I yeah. used to have a horse. Horses yeah. are, the, like, best. They're yeah, amazing yeah. creatures, but yeah. they definitely don't belong in our national parks. But it's a very emotional debate, and it's one that you can't fight with science if people believe that horses should be everywhere. Then it's a belief. It's like a religion. Yeah, no, I understand. So it's it's difficult. It's a no, really difficult. I mean, we have to make decisions. So what do you you know? Is it the frogs that all these horses are stomping? Is it the you know the reptiles that these cats? Are? It's a value judgment either way. Well, it um, feels like the value judgment has to be geared towards the species that was always there that doesn't have the faculty to be able to deal with this introduced menace. Like surely the bias goes towards that. Like, the horses aren't going to get wiped out by frogs. No. No, so, yeah, no. I, uh, look, I, I agree with you, but it is yeah. uh, it, it's a very um, yeah. political and emotional debate. But, it, I mean, it's these kind of debates when it comes to conservation that we have to kind of make. What is natural? What do we want moving forward? Yeah. Do we want to have little crobbery frogs in, in the alpine areas? I mean, I, it's, it's, I don't get to see a number of Australian frogs. I will never get to see a number of Australian frogs. They're already extinct. Mm. You know, they went extinct around the time I was born. Mm. And that's awful. And I, I get to see photos of them. I get to listen to their calls. You know, it's, people have recorded the calls. Hearing yeah. the, the sound of an animal that no one will ever hear again in yeah. the wild is awful. I mean, the Tasmanian tiger, all these kind of examples of things that we got robbed of and yeah. future generations got robbed of. And we do need to make some tough decisions moving forward. When a whole species goes extinct, are you is it kind of a given of when you research that, what the effect of that to the whole ecosystem is, or is it just so unknown that oh, it's just so unknown? Yeah. And I mean, the, the, there are places in the world that we we know what happens when frogs in that particular part of the world disappear, and you know the streams start clogging up with algae because the tadpoles would normally yeah. munch on that. Yeah. All the other animals that rely on frogs for food start starving to death. So, like, it really does have impact, yeah. but it's so complex, and we're we're you'd be insane to think that humans have an understanding of all the complex interactions yeah. that happen. So, it is anyone's guess, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. we can we're making educated guesses on a lot of things, and yeah. But the more information we have, the more educated we can be. And one of the first things is getting a handle on what, what what's out there. Yeah. I, I used to give talks and I didn't have a great story. I'm, I'm trying to improve my storytelling and, <laughs> and all that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, and you'd be like, and everything's going to die and end. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, i got to do something about that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it's also been partly my experiences and, and actually getting some hope myself. But it is really hard not to be like, look at these amazing things. Aren't they amazing? Well, they're all endangered and they're all dead. And, yeah. you know, we discovered them and, and now they're extinct. And, yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think tons of people just don't get that 
ability to fall in love with nature and just mm. don't care. Like, it, I mean, and it's it's easy to do. I'm the same kind of guilty, you know. Mm. I'll I'll get home and I'll I'll do look on the internet and I'll do whatever, and or I'll just be obsessed with the frogs that I'm I'm working on yeah, or something yeah, yeah. and have that really narrow view. But it's that connection, you know. I I yeah. took my dad for a walk uh, in some urban bushland near my place, mm. and a couple of years ago now, when we're walking along, there's a red crowned toad that occurs in Sydney. It's this tiny little frog that looks almost like a poison dart frog, like the brightly coloured, which is quite rare for Australian yeah. frogs. Bright red head. Uh, it was calling under the leaf litter during the day, a little yeah. squelchy call. I managed to find one, uncover it and show it to him and he just started crying because he didn't realise that there was this thing and there was joggers that thought I was insane crawling in the leaf, you know, going past and yeah. that there is this thing that is squelching its little heart out, like underfoot basically yeah. and persisting and and we just, it's not normal anymore for us to understand what's around us yeah. and sort of surviving. So when people, you know, throwing things down, the putting things down the drain or whatever, that just having that yeah. un- unawareness that disconnect everything just magically disappears we get our food in plastic we put it in a plastic bin and push it away and then we never yeah, see it yeah, again yeah. and you know if we were actually surrounded by the garbage that we created we'd behave a lot yeah, more absolutely. differently sometimes i go and sit at sydney park with the um the new wetlands and just listen to the frogs sing all night it's beautiful that is cool it's like god if we could just have one of these every few kilometers just these little refuges these little places where they're not as big as i would like them to be but they're obviously very important for the people as well. If you sit in there, all you can see around you is trees and kookaburras and just how kind of nourishing that is. Walking barefoot on the grass. I mean, isn't that that's meant to kind of ground us? All these things that, mm. yeah. And I think we've got the technology, we've got the resources. We can start being smarter about the spaces we can create and, and how we can coexist. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I think there's potential and hope. Well, what you just said about your dad, you know, looking at the frog I'm finding that a lot, especially the older I get, just the emotional kind of kibosh that happens. I went to um, the Coonabarra brand Dark Sky Park um, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, cool. You know, I looked up at the stars and I realised I'd never seen the moon's brightness until I'd been in a place with no light pollution or air pollution. It was unbelievable. You know, realising I've never seen this really before. And that's terrible. I'm about to turn 40 and I've never seen the Milky Way. And, you know, I'm suddenly, I'm seeing stars that I can see from my neighbourhood without realising there's a million other stars you surrounding react, them. You and see all, the, like, you're like, oh, I get the Milky Way now. Yeah, like, yeah. it is. Like, there's a ton yeah. more stars there. And it gets yeah. richer and denser as each hour yeah. goes by. And it was just... And then at one point, I just lost it. I couldn't stop crying. And mm. it wasn't the, cry, the, the crying of grief, but it was the crying of... <sighs> There was a little bit of grief, that real sense of, like, God, like, you know, every generation of human being up until, Mm. what, the Industrial Revolution got to see this every night. And I don't know how you can look at it and not feel definitely a deep sense of spiritual connection, you know, feeling uh, that you're a part of something. A part of something and a small part of something. I think that's important because I think that's the problem these days that that everyone's a unique snowflake that the world encircles instead of the fact that we're all these tiny caretakers of the planet that have, you know, this huge ancestry going backwards and forwards and, and, you know, we want future generations or future animals or whatever to stare up at those same skies. That was amphibians. <laughs> the best of all of the vertebrates. Really? Actually, but yeah, all that? of Because you're also I an expert in reptiles, right? I am, but not so much. Right. Frogs are my my passion. So you, you, you talk about hope. Like, do you think, you know, do you think that we're going <laughs> to... Do you think we're going to be okay? Like, do you think humans are going to get it together? 
I don't know. I yeah. think we're at a really pivotal time. It and does I think feel it like could we're at a go either way. Yeah. And that's one of the, I, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it now. You know, now yeah. we've still got a lot of things. Now we can potentially do things. Now we can minimise, you know, the impact of yeah. climate change potentially. But, like, the, you know, ecosystems and things, they, they can pivot sometimes at a point where we're not sure about, you know, a, a, a current will change. It'll yeah. go from, it, it's not always an incremental. It can be a, a zero to a hundred kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we've, we've still got a lot. Humans are smart. They can be smart. We've developed so much technology around things and hopefully it'll become financially viable to do so. To people who don't think that any of this stuff is relevant to them, do you think that there's anything that you can say to them that would kind of spark an interest or spark some kind of passion for the natural world? I think they, they need to fall in love with themselves. And yeah. so part of what I, I, I try and do is to say, hey, look at this amazing frog. Look, we didn't know that this existed before. Like, yeah. check this out. And, yeah. yeah, I would never have fallen in love with frogs unless I'd wandered down that stream at night. I could have been, like, a geologist or worked in the cafe down there. You know, like, yeah. it was just, it wasn't a planned thing. I, I didn't love frogs as a kid. I didn't really even know they existed. So, I mean, I think just expanding your horizons a little bit and realising, going mm. out and camping yeah. and seeing the stars and yeah. recording the frog in your backyard and realising if you, you know, plant a few trees around here, then you get this different species of bird in your backyard that, you know, you can you can make a, oh, God, this is sounding corny, you can make a better world. You can, world. though, but you can. <laughs> you can, absolutely. And, you know, and, and as someone who's kind of come to it later in life over the last 10 years, you know, I think when, when you do connect with it and it does kind of you feel that change in your brain and that connection to it all um it's really profound and like we were saying before i think it can lead to you having a deeper resonance and appreciation for your life um you know before you realize all that stuff is important you just have to somehow get down that path, whatever that is, whether it's yeah. <laughs> tripping and falling into nature or, you know, it could be David Annabrae, it could yeah. be watching that. And, I mean, but the thing is we've got all these really close examples of just absolutely amazing frogs. Yeah. I mean, just around Sydney, we've, I mentioned the red-crowned toad that it lays its eggs in dry kind of, not in water at all, just yeah. in leaf litter on the ground, and the eggs can pause their development waiting for rain. Like, yeah. it's it's just Amazing. insane. So yeah. they can just go, oh, well, well, it's not rained yet. We better just stay, like, exactly this developmental state. Don't, like, start growing any fingers or whatever. We're just going to stay here. And then as soon as it rains, then these little eggs sort of just wash down. In, I mean, th there's just a lot of stuff, and mm. frogs in particular, because of this tying to water as well, they're, like, mm. uniquely adapted to mm. really specific conditions. Mm. Um, but we can learn a lot you know, just by, yeah, looking at the stars, listening to the totally. frogs. We, we can know when the rains are coming and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. about our own environment. But it is it is good to freeze your, your butt off in, you know, in the outback sometimes. Yeah. And it's so easy to get sucked into, yeah, the, yeah. the Instagram, the whatever. And yeah. I mean, it, it does take a slap in the face to get some perspective sometimes. I think that's the big thing. Get out there, like, realise what it's all about, yeah. you know. Thanks, Jody. <laughs> <laughs>Thank you once again to the awesome Dr. Jody Rowley for an excellent conversation and for all the work that she does in the field. If you'd like to follow her, she is on Twitter at Jody Rowley. And all of you should go to the App Store right now and download Frog ID. Let's all join in on the important work being done by Jody and her team. Thanks, as always, must go to my wonderful co-editor, co-producer and sound wizard, Sean Allen, for all the hard work that he puts into making these episodes sound as beautiful as they do. If you are enjoying this podcast, please help us out by getting it into as many years as possible. It's a huge help if you could leave a five-star rating, a review, and share it on Twitter. 
Now, earlier in this episode, you heard Jody talking about the pioneering work of Professor Rick Shine in tackling Australia's cane toad problem. This intrigued me so much that I decided I just had to talk to the man himself. So next week, it will be my great privilege to sit down with the legendary Professor Rick Shine to talk all things reptiles and watch episode seven of Sir David Attenborough's Life on Earth. Thank you.